0: Good morning. My name is Monty McCullum, one of the elders here, and it's my joy to get to share the word of God with you this morning. And I'm also excited that our middle and and senior high uh, kids are in with us today. That's, That's exciting to me. So many of you have heard some of the testimony that Lori and I have concerning our marriage and the role that faith played in redeeming our marriage and our family. My heart had some pretty evil thoughts during the time that our marriage was most challenged. And divorce was a wish during that time. We lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, and Lori's home was in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, She still lived with me, but that's where she came from. And and U.S. Highway 71 connected Shreveport to Fort Smith. Now, this was a two-lane highway, and it was notorious for the accidents that happened on it all the time. When Lori would decide she needed a break from me and our tension, she would take our sons and go see her mother. My thoughts would be that Maybe she would be in an accident and then I'd be done with this marriage. How bound up in selfishness does one's heart have to be to have those sorts of thoughts? I was only thinking of being free of the marriage and I was so lost that consideration that my boys were in the car too was eclipsed. By the thought of being done with the marriage. Have you ever had thoughts like this? I mean, thoughts that you would never actually say out loud. I never even said I was wishing for a divorce out loud. My actions possibly said it as much and at, le- and at least communicated something that I would deny out loud. And it would have been a lie. I would definitely say that the word, the feeling, the disposition that my heart had was not joy. Would you agree? For a heart to think that it will be happier and more joyful under those circumstances is misguided and lost. The heart that would think that gaining that freedom from marriage through the other person's death or the other person just leaving the marriage is a heart that wants consolation, comfort, and redemption, right? I mean, even if they are evil thoughts, that is what is craved by the heart. Wouldn't you agree? The heart wants things made better, even if the heart can only think selfishly and wickedly. What would you say my heart was waiting for and treasuring at the time? Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I'm not sure the status of everyone's heart in here right now. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know each heart and you know each thought. Father, we just went through a season that is to celebrate your coming to be among us. You sent your son, Jesus, incarnate as a human baby. Your angels declared him as good news of great joy that is for all people's. You declared that. He was sent as good news for great joy for me, for each person here today. Our hearts get confused, Lord. We all are seeking joy. We all believe we know what will give that. I ask, Lord, that those with thoughts of being anxious because of uncertainty with future provisions, those who are anxious because they don't know how the changes that are will go that are happening in their life right now. Those who are anxious about homework and tests and things that need to get done. Those who are broken and anxious about relationships or even just broken health. Lord, will you come visit us right now? Open eyes, open hearts, open ears to hear of good news, of great joy that is for each heart here it's in the name of Jesus that I ask these things. Amen. What the story I just told you revealed about the thoughts of my heart was that my heart was one that was looking at my condition as requiring someone else to lay down their life so I could have the world the way I wanted it. I mean, if you boil it down, I wanted... The sacrifice of everything else to serve the per- to serve my purpose and for what? It was to do the next thing that I perceived would make me happy and feel at peace. And what would that be? A new wife? A different wife? What are the things that people think will make them happy and feel at peace? It is always something else, isn't it? This is the human pursuit, is it not? We all want consolation. We all want comfort. And we all want redemption of things in our life. And we want it to produce joy and peace. And I do not think that peace is possible in your heart without joy. Think about that and see if it doesn't make sense to you. No joy, no peace. Joy. So what do we mean when we say joy in Jesus? Grace Hill is a church that declares our vision is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. One of the preachers, I think, that expressed it the best is John Piper. He said the words joy, satisfaction, happiness, delight, all those words are used in this way are a kind of spiritual experience that sometimes is bright and cheerful and smiling and laughing and leaping for joy. And at other times, it's just the unshakable, sweet, deep satisfaction of your soul in God while you're weeping your eyes out. There can be a simultaneous joy and sorrow, and there can be a sequential progression of sorrow to joy and joy to sorrow. But the joy is not eliminated or abolished. The Bible has both of these. Paul refers to sorrowful yet always rejoicing in 2 Corinthians 6.10. And the psalmist in Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So we have both of them in the Bible. Don't you know that Mary, Jesus' mother, had a sequential time of joy and sorrow? She witnessed the crucifixion of her son. And then three days later, she learns of his resurrection, and she gets to see him. This then becomes a simultaneous sorrow and joy as she doubtless relives in her own soul the crucifixion over and over again, and yet rejoices. Don't think that when I say the human pursuit is wanting consolation, comfort, and redemption redemption of the things in our life to produce joy and peace, don't think that I'm talking about something superficial. When I had those thoughts earlier in my marriage, What I was seeking was superficial and was thinking it would deliver joy and peace. But the joy I'm referring to is not superficial. When my heart turned to Jesus in faith, the spiritual, unexplainable joy and peace, in spite of circumstances, started to grow in my heart. The thoughts of my heart are changed. On Christmas Day this year, Lori and I went over to our son, Alan, and daughter-in-law Kim's house to deliver gifts and have breakfast with them. We wanted to see our grandchildren open their gifts and and to be with them. And Lori was holding the baby and decided to go down to the basement area to see the piano that Alan had given the, the family. So we had taken off our shoes when we came into their home, They have stairs that are wooden and particularly slippery if you um, only have socks on your feet. And we know this. So Lori paused at the top of the stairs, knowing the stairs were slippery, and she made sure she had a good hold of the baby. And when she took her first step, she just went. She went down. I did not see it happen. I heard it happen. Kim went immediately down, and she took the baby from Lori and was making sure they were both okay, and Lori had protected the baby as she fell, and I was at the top of the stairs by now and kind of lashed out, and I said, what were you doing? And Alan grabbed me by my arm, and he said, Dad, she just fell. I'm grateful he did that because it caused me to realize what I was doing. Kim took the crying baby in the next room to comfort and inspect her to to make sure that all was okay. They gave her a little milk and calmed her down. We, We were all scared by the event. I just stood next to Lori and was stroking her back and I was holding back something that I had never known before. Once everything was okay and we were going to go back to whatever we were doing before, I asked Lori to step into the grandchildren's bedroom. When she did, I, I just hugged her and I started sobbing uncontrollably. Lori asked why I was crying. I think this is the first time in 40 years that she had ever seen this out of me. All I could say was, I don't know what I would do if I lost you. I don't know what I would do. Then our granddaughter, Christy, came into the room and said, what are you all doing in here? (laughs) And I'm like, nothing. (laughs) So It's okay. My response was one of lashing out because I was shocked, angered. I don't know, but don't put my sweetheart at risk of being taken from it. That made me angry. And then my relief and shock went into tears and shaking because of the realization that I don't know what I would do if I lost her. I had joy at the same time and was so grateful that I had this God-produced love for this woman. Had my heart changed from the first story? I've lost father and mother, and I've never felt that before. What were the thoughts of my heart now? Would how would you describe them? I would describe the thoughts of my heart as what I said: grateful and a sorrow at the thought of in the scare, but a joy at the realization of the consolation, the comfort, and redemption that had come from learning to have such a love because I love Jesus. He is the treasure that changed my heart. I was waiting for a change earlier in my marriage, but my hope was not in the right object. How would you describe the thoughts of your heart Are you in circumstances where you can find yourself waiting for some consolation, some comfort, and the situation to be redeemed? What is the object of your hope in the waiting? Are you a person that would be described by others as joyful and at peace regardless of circumstances? Are you a person who questions this whole Jesus thing and wonders how it can even be true and authentic? How can Jesus be a treasure? I hope to show you this morning that Luke is a book written to give answers for these questions. As Alan said earlier, uh, we're in a study of the book of Luke. This is the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So please turn in your Bibles um, to where Alan read earlier, in Luke 2, verses 22 through 38, or your app, whichever one, it's all good. And I think they'll be on the screen. So I want to share with you that at the beginning of Luke, Luke starts with an introduction that tells us that Luke is writing an orderly account of the things that have been accomplished among us, he's talking, and from eyewitnesses, and was composing this for this, a person named Theophilus. And what we know of Theophilus was that he was a Roman before, and therefore he was a Gentile. So when we say Gentile, we simply mean someone who's not a Jew. You have Jews, Gentiles. But the important thing here is Luke 1, 4, where he's telling Theophilus that he is writing these things, this book, he's writing these things so that you may have certainty concerning these things. So this book is written for a non-Jewish audience and for them to have certainty about the story of Jesus. So when we get to chapter two, it starts with the birth of Jesus. And Alan showed us on Christmas Eve that the arrival of the child Jesus was the arrival of the cure for the common need that we all have. He is the good news of great joy for all people. He showed us that we need the need we have. We all that leads us all to search in so many places that we end up with both divisions with one another and shame from realizing the mistakes made in searching and not being satisfied. Wouldn't you say that described me in the story I told you? I was searching for consolation, comfort, in places that were only leading me toward division, divorce, separation. They were only leading me toward division and not being satisfied with joy and peace. So in keeping with our verse-by-verse study that we're doing, uh, we'll walk through the, the passage, starting in Luke 2. Um, I We ended the last uh, sermon with verse 21, and I want to start with verse 21, uh, even though it's not what's printed there, but Um, I'm going to start with verse 21. I'm going to go 21 to 24 to begin with. Starting verse 21, it says And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see that Jesus was circumcised eight days after he was born, and this is in keeping with the Jewish law. And at the time of circumcision, this is the time at which the child is given a name, And as instructed by the angel Gabriel to Mary, he was given the name Jesus. And in verse 22 through 24, we see that Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as written in the Jewish law. And Mary could not come until her time of purification was complete. According to the law in Leviticus 12, starting in verse 2, Leviticus 12 says, If a woman conceives and bears a male child... And there's a different law for a female child. But if she bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. And at the t- as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. So this tells us that Jesus was about 40 days old when they came to the temple in Jerusalem. Also, we know that because Jesus was the firstborn male to Mary and Joseph, and he, he was to be dedicated to the Lord. Leviticus 12 goes on at verse 8 and says, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two, two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This is one of those references in the Bible that tells us that Mary and Joseph were poor because they could not afford a lamb. Going on with our reading, and starting in verse 25, Luke 2, 25, I'm going to read 25 and 26. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So in verse 25 and 26, we learn that this man named Simeon is righteous and devout, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know how it was revealed to him that the Holy, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We also don't know how old Simeon was. Tradition holds that he may have been 113 years old or at least very old. But in reality, the scripture doesn't really tell us if he's old or not. The consolation of Israel that, that, that he is, anticip- is the anticipation of the Messiah for a war-weary people. And we get this from Isaiah's uh, prophecy in, in chapter four, verses one and two, where it speaks to, it, to this and it says, "'Comfort, comfort my people,' says your God. "'Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her "'that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned.'" These words are right before the words that speak of the coming of John the Baptist who will announce Jesus. Uh, in verse 3 of, of Isaiah 4, it says, A voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so this is this is a, a the, the prophecy that, that we, we know what the consolation of Israel is, the Messiah. Are you, are you weary? Are you looking for consolation, comfort, for things to be redeemed in your life? Is that the answer? If things were consoled, comforted, and redeemed, would that be the answer? Is that going to cure the common need we all have that Alan spoke of on Christmas Eve? Will it relieve the divisions and shame that we have? What needs to be done in our hearts to have joy, even in the waiting? Listen, if if I had gotten what my heart thought it wanted with my marriage being done, and I thought that was comfort and redemption, would that have been a lie? And would it end up being more need for consolation, comfort and redemption? I'm sure there's someone here who can testify that that path was not joy and peace. What needs to be done is realizing that our object of focus and cure is Jesus, the Christ. Sorry, little short sermon there. Um, we're going to go on with a reading in, in Luke 2, 27 through 33. 27 starts, it says, And he came, and he's talking about Simeon, he, and he came into, in the Spirit into the temple Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought Jesus in, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in, um, Simeon saw the child, Jesus, and took him in his arms, and Simeon took Jesus and blessed God by singing his own song. If you've been going through Luke with us since we started Luke, it seems... um, Everyone that that we've seen in Luke, it seems, breaks out in song concerning the arrival of Jesus. It seems he does that to you when you realize who he is and the treasure that he is for us. Think about whether your heart um, sings with joy because you know Jesus and who he is. In verses 39 through 32, Simeon declares in his song, this child Jesus is God's salvation. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles for the glory to God's people Israel. So he's also declaring this child is for all peoples, and that's good news. So finishing our, uh, our reading through the scripture, I'm going to read 34 through 38, then we'll be done with that. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Aunt Anna, the daughter of phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, had lived, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In verses 34 and 35, it says that Simeon blessed them. So he's, he blessed Joseph and Mary. But, it's specific, but he specifically addresses Mary separately, doesn't he? And I'll talk about that specifically in a minute. But then in verses 36 through 38 we have the prophetess Anna, and she is of the tribe of Asher and the daughter of Phanuel, and we're told she is advanced in years and upwards of 84 years old. She was a widow and had been married when she was a virgin, and was not married and, went and was married for seven years before she lost her husband. And so it tells us that she did not depart from the temple. And she worshipped with fasting and prayer night and day. But what we also discover is that at the very hour Simeon has noticed Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to of Jesus to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. We think the implication here is that she has seen Jesus and was given the prophetic comments from the Lord, or she was realizing what Simeon was declaring. So that concludes our verse-by-verse comments on our study. And I'd like to spend the rest of our time on the prophecy that Simeon says to Mary specifically and what that means for us. So Luke 2.25 tells us, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we know that because he was called righteous and devout, that he had faith in God. He had faith in God. And we also know he's waiting for this consolation of Israel, the Messiah. He's looking. He's waiting. The word in the Greek for this word, this word waiting or looking used here is prostekamai which means to expect the fulfillment of promises. And, and is the same word used for Anna in verse 38 for those waiting or looking for the redemption of, Israel, of Jerusalem. So we know from the word prostekamai that they are expecting the fulfillment of promises from God, and we know from what the text tells us that they are looking to God for the consolation and redemption. So I wonder where you're looking when you are waiting for answers. In my story, I told you where I was looking. I was looking for relief through someone dying to provide my relief. I professed to be a Christian at the time. I was a leader in church. I knew of the life that was given so that I might have life and have it abundantly, but I was not looking to the source And expecting the fulfillment of the promise to change my heart's thoughts. Are you following what I'm saying here? Uh, In John 10, 9 through 11, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What is pasture? It's consolation. It's redemption. It's... It's comfort. It's joy. He, said, he goes on to say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, that thief that comes and enters with lies, And you and I will swallow those lies because they're dressed up to make us look for the wrong treasure. The thief, the wrong object of hope, will only steal and destroy. He will only cause division and shame. Now let's look at Simeon's prophecy about this promise that is the Lord's Christ. There is a parenthetical comment in the middle of what he says. And as I understand it, the Greek text would not have the punctuation like this. I can't read Greek. It wouldn't have punctuation like this. And so it's the translators trying to make the words make more sense for us uh, with the punctuation. So I'm going to take the parenthetical comment out to see if we can make some sense of both what Simeon is declaring and then what his parenthetical comment is to Mary. But to, uh, but let's address the, the comment first. His comment to Mary is... He said to Mary, Jesus' mother, um, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Do you remember um, my comment earlier when I said Mary, Jesus' mother had a sequential time of joy and sorrow. She saw the crucifixion and then she witnessed the resurrection. This is that sword piercing her own soul that she remembers. I can't help but think she, she relived that over and over again. Um, and the word sword there in the Greek is referring to a large sword. It's not one that you can wear on your side because it would drag the ground. You had to wear it on your shoulder. So without the parenthetical comment, he said to Mary this, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and he is appointed for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, this is a reference to Jesus being the stone that the builders rejected, and then it became the cornerstone of the kingdom. Psalm 118.22 says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the reason we know that it's referring to Jesus is because Jesus uses that verse, Psalm 118.22, in, when he, in Matthew 21.42 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And then Jesus in Luke 20, verses 17 and 18, he uses it there as well. It's, it's in Psalm 118, when he says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Simeon is saying that Jesus is the stone that many will fall over. Many would be saved because of Jesus, and many would be opposed to him and rejecting. And so based on what you believe about Jesus, that will reveal the thoughts of your own heart. He reveals thoughts from your heart. What you think of Jesus is revealing. He said simple truths that that reveal thoughts. Like in Matthew 13, when he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he covered it up. And then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field just so he can have it. Do you and I with joy submit all things to Jesus and his Lordship because he is the realized cure to our common need? What did my thoughts that I shared with you reveal about what I thought of Jesus as my treasure? It revealed my heart had a different treasure, didn't it? He is the treasure that satisfies our waiting and looking for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Is he that Jesus was crucified for the things he said. He claimed to be the son of God and equal with God. And the people either loved him as Messiah or hated him because he revealed their thoughts and whether their faith was in God or in this world. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this concerning Jesus. He says, "I'm, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, He did not intend to. What I want you to hear from this prophecy of Simeon's is that Jesus does reveal your heart's thoughts. That that will either show you as having faith in him as your treasured possession that satisfies and cures your need, or your thoughts will show that your treasured possession is what this world has to offer as a cure and that you truly reject. Jesus as Christ you may say Monty how do you define a faith that reveals thoughts of joy in Jesus as my treasure I heard a conference put on by uh, R.C. Sproul and, and one of the speakers at the conference was John Piper and so R.C. Sproul was, was up and he was talking about faith and, and, he, and he used a familiar example of a chair he he said that just acknowledging the chair would hold his weight if he sat on it doesn't show he believed it would unless he sat on it. He said, believe is the verb form for the word faith. So he went and sat on the chair and said, now you know I believe that the chair will hold my weight, and my faith is real. Then when John Piper got an opportunity to speak, He said, there's one problem with that example of faith, R.C. He said that coming and sitting on the chair can be like coming and being a follower of Jesus. Judas came to Jesus and followed him around for three years. So in the end, his heart's thoughts were revealed that Jesus was not his treasure, then John Piper said this, he said, some people will sit in the chair, but they think the chair is ugly and they wouldn't have it in their home. They'd be ashamed of it. So earlier in my life, in my marriage, I would go sit on that chair and I would show you my faith. I would attend church. I would teach in church. I would be a deacon or an elder and I was all of those things. But, I'm, what, but I am revealing that it is not being a treasure. Jesus is not being my treasure because I would be ashamed of letting you see how I treated my wife in my home. That chair wasn't welcome in my home. I thought it was ugly. With saving faith in Jesus the treasure, you receive consolation, comfort, and redemption such that it produces joy. It's that kind of spiritual experience that sometimes is bright and cheerful, smiling, laughing, leaping for joy, and at other times it's just that unshakable, sweet, deep satisfaction of your soul in God while you're weeping and waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. What do your thoughts reveal? What do you think of this Proclaimed Savior. If you're someone who's still questioning if Jesus is really the Son of God slain for your sins so that you can be redeemed and saved, uh, two things I'd ask of you: one is to please continue to ex- examine this, and and come read through Luke with us through this through this process. And then, other thing would be to come talk with somebody, if you'd like to talk with somebody about that. We'll have prayer ministers up front. At the end, if you need a prayer or somebody to talk to about that, that would be great, too. And if you're somebody, I don't know if many of you know this, but if you're somebody who who at times needs time to sit and pray and just think quietly, we do have a prayer room set up down the hall for that purpose. So let's pray with me, and I'm done now. Thank you. (laughs) Father, Lord, As I prayed at the beginning, I'm not sure the status of everyone's heart here right now. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know each heart and you know each thought. And as we just went through this season, that is to celebrate your coming to be among us, where you declared your son as good news of great joy for all peoples. You did that for each one of us here. You've declared that for us. And our hearts get confused, Lord. We all are seeking joy. We all believe we know what will give that. Lord, I ask that whatever's making people anxious right now, Lord, that you will be their joy right now. Open eyes, open hearts, open ears to know the good news of great joy that is from you. Some of us are seeking consolation and comfort and a redeeming of things going on in our hearts. Grant us the ability to lean on you, the joy that is the cure for these hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.